Welcome to the Inside the Junior Rain podcast. I'm your host, Ben Frank, and each and every week we give you an inside look on what goes on behind the scenes of a USA Hockey model association, the Junior Rain. We believe in learning, we believe in age-appropriate, long-term athletic development, and we believe we have the responsibility to harness the power of youth sports to create better athletes, better people, closer families, and a better world. Thank you for joining us, and together we can make youth hockey a life-changing experience. We are live. Uh, welcome, everyone, uh, to episode number six of Inside the Junior Reign, uh, where we get an inside look on what goes on behind the scenes of the Junior Reign and our mission to train and transform our youth for a better future. I am your club president, Ben Frank. With me, I have our chief of hockey operations, Paul Esdell, just as each and every week. Um, and I apologize, everyone, for not getting our show done uh, yesterday on Monday. We're going to get back to the regular time next week. Uh, but we wanted to make sure we got the show in um, today still. And uh, as, uh, as always, uh, if you could please, if you're watching, whether you're watching us live or via the replay, give us a thumbs up. Uh, hey, hello. Let us know that you're, you're watching. Uh, give us your comments and questions, whether it's about this episode or something else in general. Um, we'll be sure to get back with you, either answer your questions on the show or get back with you on Facebook or personally. And uh, if you like what you hear and you think that others might benefit as well or may be interested, we really appreciate you sharing the episodes uh, with your friends or family. Um, so uh, today, we're uh, the topic of our show is practice. We're talking about practice part three. And uh, we'll follow up on the first couple of uh, shows that we started talking about the importance of practice, how it really is the majority of what we do as a youth hockey club and what we focus on and what the youth hockey environment is uh, focused on, where the growth comes, where the relationships come, where the future comes from. And we started getting into some specifics of what practices should look like, how we've transformed over the years as a club and become a model association and started to design our practices that go along with a sports science, um, talking about how they need to be fun to engage the passion of the kids and make them love hockey and want to come back. Talked about activity rates and, and using getting the most out of every single minute of ice time as we can, being age appropriate and engaging so that we're maximizing on the windows of trainability and the things that, the, that each age group is receptive to in those in those moments of time so we can take most advantage of it and give them the best chance to, to fulfill their potential long term and their genetic ceiling and then we started getting to which is what i'm excited about today's call when we asked paul a bunch of questions we started getting to actually okay so not just the general uh, overall theories about what practice should be like and an understanding we started getting into some specifics of okay well what does this look like what does it look like at the AU level what does it look like at the 12u level what are some of the specific drills or games that we do with the kids and what's going on there and how is it accomplishing this science? And I think what was exciting is we started to, to be able to dig into, you know, um, how much goes into the planning of our curriculum and the practices and the sports science and the learning science behind the planning of it. Uh, even a game like freeze tag that we went over or puck pirates that we went over what the specifics are happening there, why we use those, those games. So, uh, we're set up today to, to dig into some more specifics and we want to get into some of the science a little bit for us nerds out there, then we'll have some motor learning and things like that. Paul, did I miss anything? Uh, anything to add to that intro? Uh, no, that's great, Ben. Uh, it's interesting. We're, we're on our third show uh, talking about practice, right? And uh, it, that wasn't really our intention, I think, when we first started the show. 
but we just we just the more we talk about it, I think the more that comes up and the more questions we have um, from you know why is that practice you know what is that drill for why does that look like that how do you teach this how do you teach shooting how do you teach positioning all these different questions come up and really like we talked about before it's you know 70 to 80 percent of the actual youth hockey season is spent at the practice uh, facilities on the rink and uh, I think that's why we're we're putting so much time into it and uh, it, and it, the the neat thing is there's so much to cover and and there's still still so much for us to learn I think we're we're still um, relatively young and in, in developing and learning all this stuff and and how to best execute it so that's the exciting part of it yeah, and it's something that I think, you know, we're obviously so passionate about the practice part because that's really where we have the opportunity to make the biggest impact with the kids. The games are the icing. The games are, you know, we have fun and we can teach some life lessons and things through the games. But all the, the development and the long-term progression of the kids and the majority of the time spent with them is in those practices. So it's important that we we, we put the majority of our efforts towards that. Um, so so today, what Paul, I wanted to ask you specifically um, to dig in some more on, you know, what's the, the type of drills and, and games that we use in practice. We talked last week, the last couple of weeks about um, how it can often look maybe like chaos. And then if it looks too structured and organized, there's lines and laps and lectures we talk about, right? We're not actually getting the most out of it. It's not, it's not, it's not as much fun, but it's also, we, we started talking about the decision-making um, and the actual skills of not just the technical aspects, but the skills of becoming a hockey player, of making hockey applicable plays and decisions. And I think that's a good place to start to, to dig in, in here now as well. Yeah, I think when you're talking about acquiring skill, like what is skill, right? It's, it's the ability to do an action. And then when do you want to be able to do that? You want to be able to do that in, in the long run. You want to be able to do that in a game environment. Um, you know, I could go in my uh, driveway and work on my wrist shot, improve my wrist shot, right? But now can I do that under pressure, driving wide against the defenseman? Uh, if I haven't practiced that part of it, then I probably can't do it as well as just standing in front of the, uh, in the garage shooting on the net. So I think when you start talking about this, you gotta bring it back to what is skill, how do you acquire skill? And I think when you, when you talk about it, there's three real parts of acquiring skill. There's the, do part so that's the technique and the execution and that's actually the last part and that's the part we see practice a lot through what we call blocked drills the rep repetition doing something over and over and over um it broke, up, it broke up for a second but i just wanted to, that's the, the do do the do part is what you said right oh yeah so the do part d d o and that that's the technique and execution so replan do and then the the first two parts which are not practiced enough and are really the most important because without the read and the plan, there's no do. Um, so reading is obviously assessing the situation uh, and then planning out how you're going to do it, where you're going to do it, and then the do comes into place. So think about an example. Say I have the puck and I'm crossing the blue line. So think about all these things I have to do. One, I have to skate. Right, so just knowing how to skate on ice is really hard. So understanding that is really challenging for your nine, 10, 12, 15, 17 year old, that's really hard. How to handle the puck. Now I gotta keep my head up and control the puck. Now I'm reading wh where to go on the ice, where the opponent is, and I'm planning on how to get to, my end goal is try to score or make a play. 
and how I'm planning on how to do that. And then at the end of all that, if it's something simple as I'm trying to drive wide and get a puck, you know, get a shot on goal, all these reading, planning, and then doing all this can happen within, you know, 0.5 seconds or under. And then think about the skills I have to be able to do. I have to be able to skate. I have to be able to handle the puck. I have to be able to um, execute the replan do all under this pressure where, you know, there's guys trying to, you know, at the, at the older ages trying to hit you and run you over. So a lot of pressure to put on a young, uh, young player. And sometimes we, we take for granted how difficult all this stuff is. Yeah. Paul, I think that great overall explanation. I think that people, that's the biggest misconception about skill. People think of the skill as just that final piece, the execution, the shot, or this just this just the skating. Uh, maybe it's a, a tight turn or a stop or what have you. And that's actually right. The science will tell you that's actually the technique. That's that's just just one piece of it. And that the actual skill is in hockey is making the play in the hockey situation. And that the the reason why I think the misconception is it's hard to see those other parts. Right, you see the shot that happens in the game and it goes in, but you don't see what happened in that in that person's head in that point three seconds right before that. And why did that player able to make to, to make that decision and see that opening and complete that shot versus another player who maybe just decided point two seconds too late and then it got tipped or they lost it or something. And you don't you just think that one player's got a better shot than the other, but maybe if they're standing still against the garage or maybe they actually had the same type of a shot. You know, and but the difference is that 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 thing that goes on inside the person's head, inside the player's head that no one can see. Yeah. Yeah. Ben, you're, you're cutting out a little bit or maybe it's my Internet, but I got all of that. Um, so that's and that's why you see a lot of the best players in the world grew up playing outdoor hockey, pond hockey. Um, Austin Massey's I uh, mean, we talked about last time about playing the three on three small games. They're developing that hockey sense, that skill of the read and plan. And that's how you're seeing those players down the road become the best players because they really, truly understand how to play hockey. And it's not, it's not, you don't drill hockey, you play hockey, right? So you're, you're practicing to actually be become effective in a game environment. So how do you do that? Like, let's talk about that. Let's talk about how do you work on the read, plan, and the do. I think that comes back to the blocked and random types of practices. So a block practice we know is a, a drill or a practice, you know, a break it down to a drill is something that you do over and over and repeat it, repeat it. And with that is there's usually not much, there's not really any reading or planning. It's, it's just the execution. So a block practice or a block drill could be just, you know, skate through, uh, through three cones uh, and then shoot on goal and then go to the back of the line. So really, you know, if, if it's, you know, you, you kind of already know the pattern, you're not much, not using much brain power to figure out how to do the drill. There's no um, opposition. There's no one to read and plan from. And really it's, it's the brain goes off and you're just repeating this skill or, you know, maybe it's, you know, tight turns or around a circle, right? You're working on your edges round and around the circle uh, but really not much thought goes into that. Now at the older ages, there, there is some room for some of that, but then it has to be framed properly and moved into block versus random very quickly because kids at the older ages will now want to 
work on specific skills that they know they can improve if they do this. At the younger ages, it's hard for them to connect and transfer the dots. So if I say, hey, you know, to my to, to the eight-year-old, Johnny, we really got to do this drill because it's going to work on your left crossover. They're not, most eight-year-olds are not really going to care, right? But if I, if I give them a Flintstone vitamin and say, you know, we're going to play freeze tag every time you get tagged, you have to do three crossovers each way. It's a major difference. They don't know they're practicing, but they will be practicing it. So it's understanding that and how you work with different age groups. And then the random drill or the random practices are where it's, there's a lot of different chaos happening and there's a lot of change and there's that reading and planning that goes into it. Um, so for example, a lot of, you know, almost every small area game is random because it's game formatted. We're recreating certain game situations so we get more reputation repetitions, but in a random format. So now we are developing that hockey sense, that decision-making and all that development that, that, you know, the, a lot of the top players developed, you know, on the pond, um, uh, you know, or in the backyard with their friends. And that's that, that myelin that's building up and building up the skill of reading and planning. So it's not just the skill of shooting or stick handling. It's the skill of, of the hockey sense of decision-making. And then that's going to tie into bigger things like, uh, position, positioning, right? And that's knowing where to be, when to be. And we all used to think that, you know, with hockey sense, we've talked about before, um, you know, oh, that kid, that guy just gets it. He just understands it. Um, but now we know how to train and develop people that get it. And I think five, maybe five or 10 years ago, we didn't know how to train that. So we just did block drills because we knew we could see some slight improvements in the turning, the shooting, the stick handling, all that stuff. But we didn't know how to train hockey sense. And we, we took the easy way out. Practice randomly is actually much harder to do. And it's much more challenging and more elite. Um, it just hasn't been framed that way because there's, an, there's maybe a misunderstanding of what it really is and what it's training. Yeah, so I want to dig into that a little bit, Paul, just, just, to, just to really drive that, that point home. The block, the block skill, let's say we want to work on, uh, I think it comes back to what we talk about when we plan the curriculum. What do we want to accomplish, right? So the block drill of, of, of stick handling, for example, you could have, uh, or a coach decides they want to work on stick handling. Well, why do they want to work on stick handling? Why does a person want to work on stick so they So the players can, can do that in the game and maneuver around players, create a shot, get out of trouble, whatever it is to work on stick handling. So they decide a block drill, they're gonna go around the cone left, they're gonna go around the cone right, they're gonna go around all the way in a circle, they're gonna shoot on that, they're gonna come back in line, for example. So they're, they, they, you think that you're accomplishing like your forehand, your backhand, like the sequence determines, you know, you're going through these different progression of, 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 of techniques on stick handling so that hopefully that they can use that in a game. But then what people, what, what we forget with a block drill like that is that actually what's required in the game is not to just, you go left, then you go right, then you go here. The skill of stick handling in hockey is actually, where's my opponent? How close are they to me? If they're far away from me, I can actually push the puck in front of me and get and go for speed. As they get closer, I have to pull the puck away and protect it. I gotta be able to pull to both sides of my body in different times, but I have to be able to to access the puck when I when I want it and protect it right. So it's it's all these other parts that go into actually executing that skill that are not being practiced at all in that technical 
blocked uh, drill if that's all that if that's all that you do. So what's happening? Well, you mentioned random. You're so now now it's harder to actually practice that way. So now the coach has to actually find a way. How do we? How do we practice stick handling, make sure everyone's getting enough repetitions and a puck on their stick and everything in such a way that actually has them see patterns that are going to happen in a game that they can make decisions on and read and plan and then make the decision versus we us tell them what kind of sequence they're going to go and then they just follow it, right? So now they actually have to, maybe with puck pirates, they have to read someone's coming, trying to get them. They have to move the puck. They have to protect it. They have to, you know, look up and, and they can, they can, they can make the wrong decisions and they can lose the puck and they can bump into people and they can they can fall over. And that's where those practices can look can look like what is going on here and which can be hard for a coach to try to to run that because versus just some script that everyone has to follow. And that's the that's the difference in the, the elite coaching and really developing what's actually can be used in the game. And it, it's gonna look it may look ugly at first, right? Yeah, and I think my 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 favorite example of this is is from John Kessel from USA Volleyball. And this is why we're talking about this, because this is the science behind how skill is acquired. And it, it's, it's the transfer and retention of random has proven to be um, is, is better. Uh, but, it, it, but it's harder and it takes longer. And, and that's the thing that we, we can, when we talk about doing a block trail and you're seeing quicker, um, quicker, quicker improvements, but long-term they're not able to do the read plan, right? They can do the do part. And my the favorite example is John Kessel, and and he he does this actually at a, at a USA Hockey seminar. He asks the crowd if anyone if anyone knows how to ride a bike, and everyone says, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, I know how to ride a bike. Well, when's the last time you rode a bike? You rode a bike? Oh, five years ago. So can you get on a bike now and ride it today? And the answer usually is yes, you can. So the, okay, the next question is now when you were a kid learning how to ride a bike, did your dad hire a bike riding coach? Uh, so usually the answer is no. Did he set up cones um, and go, you have to go through the cones? Uh, usually the answer is no. Did you do left foot first, then right foot progressions of that? And the answer is usually no, no, no. Right. So then how do you how do you learn how to ride a bike? Well, you had some guidance. You had some feedback. You got on. You fell. You got on again. You pedaled. You fell again. Keep doing. Keep doing. You kept doing that. And you were actually working the brain waves in there and triggering that to build a myelin to learn how to make the decision on when to pedal, how to steer, how to balance. And now it's intrinsic where you can always ride a bike for the rest of your life. Same thing with hockey is that I, I was lucky and a lot, a lot of people that grew up in Canada growing up in outdoor hockey uh, on the ponds and the outdoor rinks is I grew up and I just played pond hockey uh, for six, seven hours a day. And so now I know how to play hockey. I may not be able to play at the highest elite level, but I'll always be able to play. Um, same thing with the bike riding. So our challenge is we don't have the access of six or seven hours of ice time a day. So that's why our practices are critical that we're doing the right things. What science says to acquire skill, the fast, the fast, not just the fastest, but the, for the long-term athletic development of each of each athlete. And that's the difference. And, if you think about the bike riding example, uh, when you're viewing a practice, um, now you're developing the whole skill and the whole player, not just parts. I think that helps. It really helped me when I was listening to John and, and understanding that and, and understanding this block versus random motor skill learning. I think that helps a little bit.
there's there's a key part there, Paul, that, that you mentioned from the bike riding example. And you just touched on the whole versus the part skill. So something else that's really important that the science tells us is that skills are acquired as whole as whole skills. Uh, that's again, they take that sometimes it takes uh, longer, but it's much more permanent when they're practiced as a whole skill, not in sequential parts. So sometimes it's common sense to think maybe that if you want to be able to, um, you know, uh, receive a pass, make a move, take a shot on the goalie, for example, that you practice, or maybe even a, a skating stride. This, this would be even a better example: a skating stride that it starts with. You know your your foot your feet together, then extension back, and then back to the back to the middle. That's separating skills into like the parts, and then and then adding them all together. Like you mentioned, left pedal with your left leg, then a pedal with your right leg. If you practice just pedaling with your left leg a bunch, and then practice just pedaling with right leg a bunch, that doesn't mean that you can put those together because the whole skill of riding the bike is actually the skill. So like the science clearly shows that practicing the whole the whole skill, even though it you think that maybe you you practice all the individual pieces and they just add together. It, it doesn't. It doesn't add together naturally, and it actually is wasting a lot of time versus just practicing the whole skill. Even though initially it may be easier to practice the parts separately, it, it may be uglier to practice the whole skill together. But that's actually what leads to the permanent, permanent learning uh, and actual the actual learning down the road of doing the whole thing, which which leads into um, the random type. Environments. If we say the skill, the skill is reading, planning, and doing. That that's the skill. The doing is just the technique. We want them to have the skill in the game of making a decision, deciding, reading the situation, making a decision what to do, and then executing the skill, executing the technique. That's the skill, and that's what needs to be practiced together. Not it is not just practicing the technique only separately, and then expecting that to, to, to transfer to the whole skill. Does that makes that make sense the way I explain that, Paul. Yeah, yeah, it definitely does, and that and that leads us to another thing, and and it leads us to when when I, I you know I get this question often is um, when or how are you going to teach positioning, right? And I think that's it's an interesting question because we defining what positioning really is, and I, I think that's what it's it's a misconception sometimes what positioning really is. If you watch an NHL game. Um, Nowadays, right, you're not just the left winger and you just go up and down the ice on the left side of the ice. That's not hockey at all. Hockey is not a static game, right? And we talked about this before. It's about offense. It's about defense. It's about transition. It's about taking away time and space. It's always moving. And there's no two play, plays that are the same. Some that are similar, but none that are the same. That's why anyway, practicing the game of hockey is so, and there's no so important. Plays that are the and, same. Some that are similar. Sorry, Paul. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I was getting a, get some feedback there, but I, okay. but that's what I'm saying. There's no, no two plays that are the same. That's why when we're talking about positioning, we can tell a kid to stand somewhere, right? Say, hey, Johnny, stand in front of the net. That's where you need to be, and, and that may be right one out of a hundred times or a thousand times, right? Mm -hmm. And Johnny will listen because kids kids will follow direction. But does he understand why he's there? Does he understand, you know, what the purpose is? Is it the right time to meet there? And that's why we start talking about that. That replan do is not just execution of shooting, stick handling, skating. That's why we talk about the hockey sense and the whole. Those are whole skills. Is understanding positioning of. We talk about the four positional roles of hockey, right? And that's offense with with the puck, how you defend the puck, 
offense away from the puck and the defending away from the puck. So knowing where to be and when to be in relation to the opponent, uh, your teammates, where the puck is, where the net is, those, those can't be taught by just saying, Johnny, go stand there. And that's what you have to do. Those are taught through repetition and learning trial and error of game situations. And how do you create game situations? Sure, can you play five on five full ice? Sure, but you're not gonna get as many reps and you're not gonna be able to, you're not gonna be able to have a control over the situations you wanna create. So that's where, you know, the smaller games has come into play, teaching concepts through smaller games. And this is stuff that they did 30 years ago and USA Hockey just brought it back now and you're seeing at the highest elite levels that small area games is done at the highest levels at the collegiate level, um, you know, at the with USA Hockey, and you're even seeing it at some of the pro level at, during their training camps. Um, during the season, you're not seeing as much at the pro level because of the schedule, like we talked about before. It's it's not a, it's more about maintenance and that kind of stuff with practice, and a lot of the practice is done off the ice just because of the schedule. But the highest levels at the collegiate level, where really collegiate level is a great um, area for development because you get those four or five days of practice and one or two games on the weekend, you'll see a lot of the small area games done because they know they still can improve guys' hockey sense and positioning and understanding of where to be and when to be there. Like you said, a lot of NHL training camps now are doing three and three cross ice and things as, as part of their training camp. And I think like, so Paul, what you, we talked about is what, what we don't, what we don't want to tell the kid, we don't want a kid to know, okay, you're supposed to be on the board, you're a winger. We want them to be able to read what's happening. So look, look, let's just think about all the things that they have to be able to pick up to actually make the right decision of what, is, what position to put their body in, right? They have to realize who has the puck. Does my team have the puck or does the other team have the puck? Because that completely changes where, they, where, they, where they're going to be, right? Um, what zone are we in? Are we in our own zone or are we in the other team's zone? Uh, who is the closest player to the puck from my, you know, from my team? Where are the players on the other team? Has someone fallen down? Is someone, you know, is my defenseman up when I, is my defenseman caught on a rush? Am I the winger that's covering for him? You know, uh, did my center fall? My center supposed to be the one down low in our zone, but did he fall down? Because all these things, right? We, the last, the worst thing is, is a robotic player that, you know, the defenseman falls down or something and that winger is in position to stop the other team and they're like, oh, I got to stand over here. That's not my job. And let them go in on a breakaway and score, right? It like, doesn't make any sense, right? Or you're supposed to stand on the wall when your team has the puck, but the, there's a guy from another team who just stands right beside you and you're covered, but you're like, oh, this is where I'm supposed to be. Like, I got to be here, right? Versus maybe you could have gone in the middle and it was wide open or maybe you could have gone. And, and as a coach, we can't, you cannot you, there's no way you can predict every situation that's going to happen. How where the other team is going to be? Is someone going to fall? Someone, you know, whatever. Did the puck is the puck going to bounce over here or be loose? It's going to change change hands quickly from team to team. And so we need the player. The coach can't do it for you. They can yell from the bench and tell them what to do every second. But we need the player to be able to read what's happening and make an immediate decision of what they need to do and have the confidence to know that they can make that decision to make the best play possible. And that's where those small hurried games trying to maximize those repetitions so they can see those patterns over and over and over again and a chance to constantly succeed and fail and have those situations. Okay, there's two guys. There's, my team has a puck. The other team has a puck. It's in the corner. There's between, it's between me and my net. All these things happening over and over again so they can make those decisions.
Yeah, and you mentioned one thing about yelling instructions, right? And that's very common. And I think we're all guilty of that at times, right, in our in our youth hockey uh, coaching careers. And and that's really the short term solution to a big problem, right? It's it's that trying that joystick trying to control the player. And when people are yelling instructions, they're usually just yelling towards the defender on the puck or the puck carrier, right? And really, if they were doing it right, they should be yelling instructions for everyone because there's more happening than, than they should. And, and we know that's not possible. That causes a lot of confusion. That's why when parents are yelling different things from the stands, it's very confusing for players. And that's why we have to create hockey players, not robots, right? So they can, they're going to have to make these decisions on their own. And that's why at the highest levels, they, you know, for example, in the NHL, right? That's why they have, that's why they practice. They play, they play games and practice. They have exhibition season. Why they do all that? Because they got to see who can play the game, right? They're not making decisions on who can do the full ice horseshoe the best. They want to see what players can make plays, right? And help them win hockey games. And that's at the highest levels. They're looking for players that can play. Like the simple questions, you know, can he play? And, and like, it, like it, that's a simple question, but it, there's a lot to that. If if guys at the highest levels are asking those questions, just like that, well, can he play? And somebody goes, well, skates well, but isn't, he doesn't get it. Like that means, well, he, he has he skates well, but he doesn't understand the game, and probably because he's done block drills for his 20 years of youth hockey, and as he has good skill sets, but doesn't think the game well. And and then there's some of these other guys that have like Wayne Gretzky is the best example really of all time. He's the best, arguably the best player of all time, the all time point getter. And, you know, as a young boy, he used to watch hockey night in Canada and draw on a sheet of paper where the puck went. He would draw everywhere on the ice where he went and he played, you know, he was on the ice after school, before school, upon hockey every day. And he wasn't the fastest. He wasn't the biggest. He didn't have the hardest shot. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't the toughest, all these things, but he was the smartest by far. He knew where the puck was was and where it was gonna be. And that's why and that's the he has he has the ultimate hockey sense and the hockey IQ. And that led him to be the best one of the best players of all time. Um and that shows you that's that's where it's at. We just it's hard to get there. And what we've learned, the difference is in the past years ago, years ago, we thought that that was natural and that we couldn't teach it. Um and that Wayne Gretzky or something you're born with it or you're not. Um, and now we've learned the, through the science that you can develop that. And like you said, the NHL training camp, they don't just do a speed test, a shot, shot power test, and then pick all the best of the players who have skated the fastest in a straight line and the guys who have the hardest shots on the radar gun. They see who can play. And, and that's the stuff that, that people used to think, well, you can't really explain it. Lucky Luke Robitaille, right? He wasn't even, he, he was, was, uh, was drafted thing in the last round and, uh, wasn't they call him Lucky Luke because he just always seemed to be in the right place at the right at the right time. But he was he had the hockey sense, but they didn't know how to quantify it. Maybe right, they thought he was just lucky. He was always in the place to score a goal, but he his reading and planning was was obviously superior. Um, and I think it's because he loved the game and he was so committed to so much to Wayne Gretzky. Right, so we've learned that you can actually the science tells us now that you can develop those things if you're doing the right things if you're putting kids in the right in the situations to work on that if you just in practice you heard that you heard the player that's great in practice and then not good in the game that's big probably because the practice is doing all cone drills where that there's a guy who's really fast and he can shoot hard and he can go around the cones really well but then when it gets into a game 
they can't play because they don't know how they don't make decisions fast enough and they don't read situations fast enough. And and that and that's so it's like this big myth, but it's it's not true that the players aren't developing those skills, which are some of the most important skills. Yeah, Ben, and that's exactly right. And, and the interesting thing or the challenging thing is that the why random is so important in practice because it is like the game, right? And it it's so hard to replicate by yourself, right? You yeah. can't replicate a three on three odd, uh, you know, rush or a two on one odd man rush game or, or a small area, you know, Gretzky or quarterback game, all these different games that, that cover transitions, breakouts, four checks, defensive mm -hmm. zone, offensive zone, special teams, all these smaller games that we have that USA hockey's developed. We've developed, you can, you can do all those in, in, in a, on ice practice, it's very hard to do that in your driveway by yourself or with a couple buddies, right? I can yeah. work on my skating and public skating. I, I can go on the skating treadmill. I can do private training. I can work on stick handling and shooting and all this stuff at home. But how do I get better at playing the game of hockey? Um, if I don't have the outdoor rink with uh, 10 or 12 other buddies and uh, I don't have a, you know, a ball hockey game every day going on, there, that's why the, that, the random part of practice is, is critical for the development of our kids. Great, thanks, Paul. Well, we're just we're just over thirty minutes. I know we could keep going here, um, but uh, uh, I think that's that's great for today. Just just to sum things up, uh, we 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 got into the importance of the random random practice drills and games versus the blocks, and uh, we also talked about the whole skills versus the part skills, and really this applies to any sports and, and skills in general. So interesting stuff. All around, and then uh, as as always, uh, thanks Rick for the for the comment there. And uh, as as always, uh, whether you're watching live or on the replay, we know a lot of our viewers are replay viewers because it's the middle of the day and during the week. Um, let us know uh, what you think. Let us know your comments and questions. Let us know you're watching. Give us a thumbs up, and uh, please uh, share the show with anyone that you think would would find it interesting. And we'll be back on next uh, Monday at 2 p.m. back to our regular time in person there at the rink for our show Inside the Junior Reign. And thank you for supporting us in our mission to train and transform our youth for a better future. Thanks, guys. Yes, bye-bye.